G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 22 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. In today's episode, we're looking at what it means to have a faith in Christ that is authentic. We're looking at what that means and the dangers to younger generations if we don't live out authentic faith in our lives. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find those over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 22 on the list. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode 21 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we took a look at how God uses all people to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't just wait for people with seminary degrees and training to go plant churches and tell the world about him. He uses all of us. It can be so easy for us to say, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm not qualified to talk to others about Jesus. I'm not qualified to lead a church or run a Bible study. But that's pretty much what Moses said to God. I'm not qualified. Get my brother. God wasn't happy, though, with Moses constantly refusing because God had a job that he wanted Moses for. And you know what? God has a job that he wants you for. And God doesn't make wrong decisions. So I challenged us last week to be willing, to be ready to follow him on whatever task he has for us not to fight him and try to talk ourselves out of following him. This week, we're talking about the importance of clinging to faith, even when it seems impossible, and when God answers prayer, tell others about it, especially our families. Our passage today is Acts chapter 12, and this is from the World English Bible. Now about that time, King Herod stretched out his hand to oppress some of the assembly. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but constant prayer was made by the assembly to God for him. The same night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Guards in front of the door kept the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Stand up quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, Put on your cloak and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second guard, 
they came to the iron gate that led that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I truly know that God has sent out his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from everything the Jewish people were expecting. Thinking about that, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, she didn't open the gate for joy, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, You are crazy! But she insisted that it was so, and they said, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. But he, beckoning to them with his hand to be silent, declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir amongst the soldiers about what had become of Peter. When Herod had sought for him and didn't find him, he examined the guards, then commanded that they should be put to death. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On that appointed day, Herod dressed himself in royal clothing, sat on his throne and gave a speech to them. The people shouted the voice of a god and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he didn't give God the glory. Then he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their service, also taking with them John, who was called Mark. Faithful Prayer There is so much in this passage. It's another incredible story of God's amazing power. He had purpose for Peter still. It wasn't his time to go home to be with God. And so God pulls off the most astounding jailbreak in Acts. Probably in history, Peter just walks out. But what I really want to focus in on today is the believers who met in Mary's house praying for Peter's release. I want to focus on faithful prayer. They were likely praying for days for Peter. For so long, they'd begun to lose hope. Their faith was weakening, so much so that they didn't believe it when their prayer was finally answered. And I want to focus on this because that's how God works. He pushes our faith to the breaking point and then a little bit further. He pushes us to the point that we believe, but the doubts are starting to nag and we're desperately trying to still believe and be faithful, but it's hard. Oftentimes he pushes us until we believe it's now impossible for the prayer to be answered and yet we're still praying. Then God answers. What I want to encourage us on today is to be faithful in our prayer, to keep praying, to keep believing, to have faith even when it hurts, even when we think it's now never going to happen, 
that it's too late. Abraham and Sarah prayed and trusted God's promise of a child for decades. There were many times in there that their faith was so weak they tried to find ways to fulfill the promise themselves. But finally, when it was impossible, when they could no longer physically have children, then God acted. In those moments, something incredible happens. Our faith grows, and we trust God in a way that we've never trusted Him before. And that is so exciting. But it can be daunting too, though, because God will continue to push our faith until the day we die, if we allow Him to. If you choose to trust Him, to allow Him to stretch your faith, by the time you're old, you'll have stories for kids and grandkids that will astound them. Stories that have trouble believing if it weren't mum or granddad telling them. And you know what? Those moments of awe when we experience answered prayer aren't just for our benefit. They're for the benefit of other believers, for our friends, but specifically for our families. It's so important that we share those stories, especially with our families, especially with the next generation. Because if we keep silent about the amazing thing God has done, what reason do we give the next generation to trust Him when it seems impossible? If our kids look at us and see a faith that is nothing more than words on Sunday and a ritual of going to church, what reason do they have to follow Jesus? If our faith is nothing more than words, it's not real. Maybe it is to us but it won't be to those around us. It'll just be some nice thing that we believe to help us sleep better at night. But when we're faithful in prayer and God answers those prayers, that's real. When we're faithful in serving God and God does the impossible, that's real. And believe me, as someone who was a kid not all that long ago, young people see straight through a faith that is words only. Young people see straight through a person who says one thing but acts another way. If we talk the Christian talk at church but go home and we're angry, naggy, belittling, sarcastic, rude, spiteful, petty, then the message we send to those who live with us is this. What we say on Sunday is nothing but a lie. How we act on Sunday is just that, an act. And what kind of a message does that send to young people? If we wouldn't dream of letting other Christians, especially adults, see our true self, who we are at home, then why do we think God would ever want to see us be like that? Why do we think he'd be okay with us being like that around his children, the children he blesses us with? The Bible has some very strong words to say for those who lead young people astray. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus says that it would be better for someone to have a heavy stone tied around their neck and they be thrown into the sea than for them to lead one of his little ones astray. That is a huge responsibility that we have as Christian parents. Our actions very much impact the next generation. With my first kid arriving in a few months, 
This is something I've been thinking about quite a lot lately. And to be honest, at times I've been flat out discouraged and overwhelmed. I want to raise children whose faith puts mine to shame, who are all so all out for Jesus that they don't make all the mistakes that I did when I was growing up. But did you know that statistically there's only a 30% chance that by the time they hit college that they'll even still profess to have faith in Jesus? 30%. Less than one in three. If Brittany and I have three kids, statistically only one of them will still believe in Jesus, the Son of God who died and rose again, by the time they're 18. Now I know full well that even if we were perfect parents, and we won't be, that that doesn't mean our kids will be perfect kids. They still need to make the choice to follow God. And I know that you can do everything right and still be rejected by those you love most. Yet, the question plaguing me as I wrote this message was this. What are we as adults doing wrong that 70% of the next generation is giving up on God? Because for the number to be that high, we've got to be doing something wrong. I can't believe that we could be doing everything right as a church in the West in the West, and yet still losing 70% of young people by the time they go to college, with only 20-30% to 30% of those returning to the church later in life. And those numbers have been happening since the early 2000s. At that rate, unless something drastic changes, within a few generations, the Christian church in the West will be all but extinct. We'll be the nation desperately needing missionaries from thriving churches in China, the Middle East, South America, to come to us and preach the gospel because so few actually know it. Maybe some scoff and say, that'll never happen. America is a Christian nation. We say, God bless America, so therefore he will. But the thing is, it already is happening, and you don't have to look for long or hard to see it happening. You don't have to dig for long to hear of Indian pastors who weep for America or South American churches who are already sending missionaries to the States or Chinese believers who laugh at the idea of people not attending a church because the preacher teaches for 50 minutes instead of 30 or because they didn't have a Saturday night service they could attend so they didn't miss games on Sunday. While we worry about the amenities a church can provide, we are literally becoming the laughingstock of the Christian world. I truly believe that Christians in the West have by and large fallen asleep. And the biggest danger Jesus talks about again and again throughout Scripture is us falling asleep. Because Jesus will return like a thief in the night when no one is aware So we should be awake, preparing in case he does return tomorrow, today, in five minutes. If he were to return today, do you think he'd be proud of the Western Church? Do you think he'd be proud of the millions of Christians who go to church on Sunday and forget about it on Monday? I find it hard to believe that he'd have good things to say. So let's not be like that. Let's be waiting for his return like he commands us to. 
Let's be purposeful in how we live our lives, in how we talk about our faith and the stories of what God has done in our lives. Don't fall asleep. Don't relax. We're not here to have the most comfortable life we can get. If you call Jesus your Lord, this isn't your home. Heaven is your home. The new earth, the new heavens are your home. Your home is eternity in God's presence. We're here to do a job, and that job is simple. Spread the gospel. We're only here for a few short years. Don't waste it by building the best life possible. If you want to please your boss, do you take as much time off as possible to make your job as comfortable as possible? Or do you do as much work as you can, use every resource you've been given and tirelessly do the work given you? And God has given us the Holy Spirit. There is no more greater help we could possibly have than the Holy Spirit in us. We've looked time and again through the series at what the Holy Spirit has done for those who choose to let him be powerful in their lives. And he's still just as powerful today. We'll have plenty of time to relax in heaven. Eternity, in fact. And eternity is a really, really long time. I don't want to get to eternity and realize I wasted most of my life trying to be comfortable and make my life nice. I don't want to get to heaven and have God shake his head and ask, what on earth was I doing? And I can tell you for certain that we won't have a happy boss if the only time we make for him in our lives is 90 minutes on Sunday morning, maybe some scattered thoughts and prayers and Bible reading through the week. And that's the picture of the Western Church. That's the standard so many young people within Christian homes grow up to expect. So is it any surprise at all that so many abandon the church? No. There's no surprise. If we give children the impression that we're in church only for what we get out of it, and that church is there for our benefit once a week, what incentive do they have to stay? It's like expecting our children to like the same movies and music we do just because we like them. It ceases to be real. It becomes entertainment. That's the message we as a church in the West are sending to young people. We're sending that message because by and large in the West, that's how we treat church. We go to hear an animated preacher who uses lots of great analogy and pop culture references. We go for a full band and light show. We go for barista coffee and specialty teas. In the West, so often we fall into the trap of wanting Christianity for its perks, its kids' programs, its fun events. But that's not Christianity. You know what message Jesus preached most often about putting faith in him? You're going to suffer. Count the cost before going in because it will be steep. Don't follow me unless you're willing to lose everything. Because if you don't count the cost and you give up because you decided it's too high down the track, you'll look like a fool and you'll harm those who look up to you. The only incentive we have to follow Jesus, according to him, is because he's real and he's the only way to God the Father. 
He is the only way we can have forgiveness for our sins and have salvation. And a promise we have when we give our lives to Him is that we will suffer. But we can suffer with joy because we're counted worthy of suffering for His name, like James, the brother of John, like Stephen. If we want Jesus but no suffering, what we want is a fairy tale. We want something that does not exist. And if we as adults live lives that tell the next generation that we believe that Christians don't suffer, that it's all about health, wealth, and happiness, and that when we believe in Jesus, God gives us everything we want, it's no wonder that so many young people leave the church in disgust. Because that Jesus doesn't exist. That God is a lie. One glimpse at what Jesus actually says in the Bible will show that. And when kids read the Bible and see how their parents, how their elders and church live, if it doesn't match up, that's harmful. But how does that relate to faithful prayer and sharing stories of the wonders God does? Faithful prayer demonstrates our absolute faith in God and that Jesus is real. Faithful prayer demonstrates that we truly believe God is real in actions, not just words. And answers to our prayers? Those are real live examples of just how real God is. They are undeniable examples of the Holy Spirit's power. And when faithful prayer with a heart to serve God goes hand in hand with God's incredible answers to prayer, it's a witness more powerful than any words we can give. It's a demonstration of an authentic faith in a real God. And what more powerful testimony can we give the next generation than that? We can talk the talk, but unless we live it, unless we breathe it, our words are just that, words. And we need to take how we live our lives seriously. We need to seriously consider what message our lives are sending to young people because Jesus would rather we drown than lead his young people astray with inauthentic faith. And that should terrify us, terrify us so much that we would do anything we can to avoid it. Not to be perfect because we never will, but to be authentic. So my challenge this morning is twofold. Number one, allow God to push our faith, to be faithful and continue to pray even when it seems impossible. Because God answers massive prayers. God answers impossible prayers. He doesn't answer every prayer because sometimes we're asking for things that aren't good for us. Sometimes we're asking selfishly, just like the child who only asks for candy for every meal. Nope, got to eat some veggies and get some protein too. Only sugar is bad for you. Sometimes our prayers are prayers for candy all the time. But the more desperately we seek to honor God, the more likely we are to be praying the right prayers, prayers that are good, Prayers that will bring God glory. See James chapter 4, he talks about the importance of having the right motives when we pray. And number two, when God answers prayer, tell others, especially family. Tell your kids, tell your siblings, tell your parents. 
Parents, let your children see your faith through how you live your life. Not just your life when you're around other people, but how you live your life at home too. Because nothing destroys a young faith faster than seeing parents who act one way at church, but another at home. I have far too many friends who grew up in homes like that, and not many of them chose to follow Jesus. And finally, to everyone whose parents' faith wasn't authentic, or they didn't have faith, this is who the Bible teaches us Jesus is. He is the son of a holy and righteous God. He came to earth to people who God had chosen to be his own, and those people hated him and ultimately murdered him. But that was part of God's plan, because through that death, Jesus paid the price for our sin, for every mistake we've ever made. And believe me, we've all made mistakes. I've made more than I even remember. And we need his forgiveness. We need what he did for us on the cross. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, defeating death and giving us the gift of salvation. A gift that we can have simply by putting our faith in Jesus, by believing in him with our hearts and professing him as our Lord with our lips. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we're given a helper, the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us and helps us live lives that honor God. Because without him, that would be impossible. But we need to know this. The world will treat us the way it treated Jesus. It hated him. It hates us. We don't give our lives to Jesus because we want to fit in with the world. We give our lives to Jesus because we know we've messed up and need forgiveness. Because unless we accept the forgiveness offered through Jesus' death and resurrection, we'll pay the price for our own sins. And that price is eternal torment in hell, separated from God. So regardless of your parents' faith, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is what God's Word teaches us, and that's who we should be putting our faith in. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's word to your life.